Well, good morning. It's good to see you here today. Uh, we're beginning a new series called uh, My Story. And uh, if you know me, uh, you don't have to know me very well to know that I like to tell stories. Uh, I have a story about everything, a story that happened to me or happened to somebody else that I know. And I have come to realize over the years as I watch my wife, who is generally very sweet, kind, meek, mild, every once in a while as I start telling one of my stories, I see out of the corner of her eye where she just kind of goes like this. Like, I know this story, I've heard this story, and she's kind of wondering what variation of the story I might tell, right? Um, <clears throat> I feel like the older I get, I'll get to the point in my life where, um, where I'll be telling a story and I will actually forget the details, and I'll just start making it up. I'm not quite there yet, but, but I love to tell stories. My kids now do that too, uh, especially my oldest, Jordan. He, he is one that he, ever since he was a little boy, he's liked just listening to me tell stories to other people, and I'll notice him out of the corner of my eye, just kind of doing this. And even now, uh, at age 23, he still does that. So I think he likes my stories. The rest of the family, not so much, but I like to tell stories. And you know, the truth is, we all have stories that we can tell. Uh, we can tell about the time that we overcame a difficult situation uh, in our life. We all have those stories. We tell stories about uh, when we had to make a tough decision and what the end result was of that tough decision. Maybe making that tough decision was one of the best that we've ever made. Um, how many of you have stories about really dumb things that you've done in your life? Um, I've heard some of them, right? Uh, we've all got our share. They usually happen about middle school, you know. For guys, it carries on into high school, definitely into college. I can name some names where it has never ended, right? You're 50, you're still doing dumb stuff and telling stories about it, all right? We've all got those stories. We also have stories that make up parts of our life that we would rather not tell. I bet you have uh, some of those. Many of us have entire chapters uh, of our lives that we would rather forget than tell. Sometimes, if you're like me, I have some of those chapters and I uh, would, would rather not tell them, and if I do tell them, I leave out certain sections of the story. And then the truth is, this morning in a crowd this size, that, that there are some of us who have uh, entire chapters of our life story so far, and we're ashamed to tell those stories. And so we don't. Here, here's what I know to be true. The story that we are living today is the result of the decisions that we've made in the past. It was a fact. The story that you're living right now, whatever your story is, and whether you're a middle school, high school student, or the oldest adult that's here, the story that you're living today is the direct result of decisions that you've made in the past. Here's the second thing I know to be true. The story that you're gonna live and tell tomorrow is gonna be determined by the decisions that you make today. You say, well, maybe not today, maybe in the next few days, the next few weeks. No, I believe that by the time we come to the end of our time together this morning, you'll realize that that is true. Some of you could make decisions today that will affect tremendously the story which you will tell in the future. 
And so the big idea of this whole series that Jerry and I will be doing over the next four or five weeks is this. The decisions that we make today are going to determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. The older I get, the more that I realize how many of my stories have affected um, where I am today. How many of the decisions, the choices that I made along the way. Have you ever thought about that? At age 49, I can look back and I can think, wow, if I hadn't made that decision, then my life would have gone this way. I I can remember when I graduated from uh, school and I had studied to be a youth pastor. That's what I really wanted to do. And so in college, and it's a story for another day, love to tell you though sometime, um, uh, I, when I was in high school, I, I, I'd grown up in a small church and there were hardly any girls that, 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 that I would date. You know, my standards were, were pretty high, as you can assume, just looking at me, right? That I had pretty high standards and that there were probably not a lot of girls growing up in Omaha, Nebraska that would meet that standard. But when I got to Bible college, there were lots of them, right? So my first year I spent, man, just dating all these girls and got to be my sophomore year, my junior year, and I thought I found one. I thought she will marry me. And then we broke up. And I can remember graduating my senior year going, I'm so hosed right now. I mean, they're, they're, I, mean I am going to be a youth pastor. First of all, what church wants to hire a single youth pastor, right? I'm going to be a youth pastor And I'm probably not going to get a job at a big church where there's lots of single women. I'm probably going to get a job at a small church. What am I going to do? And so I went and uh, interviewed at this church out in Washington State, right on the Washington-Idaho border. And it was a great little church, beautiful area. And I'm looking around going, look, if I move here, like it ain't ever going to happen, right? Unless I marry a lumberjack or something like that. It's never going to happen. And uh, God made it pretty clear through that and other issues that uh, that wasn't where he wanted me to be. And, and then I interviewed at this church in Akron, Ohio, and didn't really want to go to Akron, Ohio either, but uh, it was better than, you know, marrying a lumberjack out in Washington State. And so I moved to Akron, Ohio as a single guy, and I decided I'm going to pour myself into ministry and, uh, and, just, and just see what happens. And I got to know this other youth pastor and his wife, uh, very well. And uh, as we have a tendency to do with singles, singles I can relate to you back in the day. All right, I know what we do and all your friends are always trying to set you up with somebody, right? That's how it goes. And this youth pastor and his wife said, we have this girl and she's so nice. Well, that's code, right? Isn't it guys? <laughs> that's code. If she's nice, Fill in the blank, all right? That's just the way it is, all right? I'm not gonna say it. Not gonna get put on the podcast for me, all right? I'm just saying, if you start out with she's nice, then she's nice. Well, I wanted nice, but I saw I wanted hot nice. Like I wanted, <laughs> I wanted, I mean, I'm in my 20s, all right? I want a knockout wife, right? That's gonna minister with me, that loves Jesus. And they said, we got this friend that's nice. And I met their friend that was nice. Now we have three kids. (laughs) It's awesome, right? I mean, but I look back and I think, wow, along that way, any decision differently and I don't meet nice and hot. I mean, I don't, and godly, I put that in. (laughs) 
Nice, hot, and godly. You guys got it? Say it with me. Nice, hot, godly. They're all going, hot especially. I mean, uh, but I think along the way, if I, don't, if, I, if I make a different decision, a different choice, my story is totally different. And then there are those stories in my life, and I know they're in your life as well, where you have a lot of regrets. And you look back and you say, if I would have decided this rather than this, what might have happened? Uh, several years ago, I resigned from a, a job because I was really upset. And rather than working through the issues that were there, I did what was easy at the time, and I walked away. And I know years later that uh, as I look back, it caused me a lot of pain. It caused a lot of people that I really loved and cared about a lot of pain. I lost relationships as a result of that. And I regret that decision and the consequences. And I wish I could get a do-over. For those of you that are golfers, we say what? Wish I could get a mulligan, right? And unfortunately in life, we get an opportunity to make new decisions, but we don't get an opportunity to go back and change that decision back there. So often that decision that we make has consequences. It begins to write uh, uh, lines and paragraphs and chapters of our life that determine the story of our life. And so it is true that the decisions that we make today are gonna determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. Over the next uh, several weeks, we're gonna do several things. And we want you to make four decisions which will all affect the stories that we are all gonna tell in the future. The first one today, I want you to make a decision, I want you to decide to start. To make a decision to start a discipline that will define the story that you are gonna tell in the future. Next week, Jerry's gonna talk about and challenge you to make a decision to stop. We all have habits and behaviors in our life that are, that are hindering us from writing a story that we'll want to tell someday. And we want to stop those things. We need to stop those things. And then on week three, I want you to make the decision to go. Sometimes the easy decision is to stay put right exactly where you are. And I want you to make the decision to go. Because there are many times when God's telling us to go when the easy thing to do is to stay. And making a decision to go may be just the thing that will write a chapter in your life which will give you a story worth telling someday. In week four, I want you to decide to stay. So often that's the difficult thing to do, especially in our mobile culture, and our mobile society. We're used to being in a place where we can, just, we can just take off and we don't just wanna stay put, even though things are difficult. Sometimes the easy thing to do is just simply to quit. But oftentimes the greatest stories in our life are told when we make a decision to stay. And most often, it is, in, had been true in your life, it's been true in my life, it is the little decisions that we make over a long period of time that produce a story that we're gonna want to tell. Well, how do you write that kind of a story? I would submit to you at the outset that we don't really write that kind of a story. 
that God writes that story and we write that, he writes that story when we are under the submission of him in our life. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse two, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's God that writes our story. And I would say to you this morning at the outset that if you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, your story will never end up what God intends for it to be because we were created for part of our story to be, in fact, the great narrative, the great theme of our story to be that we're in relationship with God, with our creator. And so that's where it begins. He is the founder and the perfecter of our lives and of our faith. Now, the Bible is full of examples of people whose stories are affected in dramatic ways because they made a decision to simply start doing something. They made decisions to do something, and as a result, those choices changed the course of their life, and in some cases, the course of many other people's lives. One of my favorite Old Testament books is the book of Daniel, and I want you to take your Bibles and, uh, and turn to Daniel chapter 1 if you have them. It was about uh, 605 uh, BC, and the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, invades Jerusalem. And that's kind of the context of where we're at in Daniel chapter uh, 1. And he undoubtedly, King Nebuchadnezzar, is one of the greatest monarchs in ancient history. And arguably, if you were to study his life, he is certainly one of the most arrogant as well. Uh, the conquests that King Nebuchadnezzar made were understood by him to be proof of his superiority or of his God's superiority. And uh, most of the time, he couldn't tell the difference, <laughs> whether it was his own superiority or his God's, because he kind of equated himself as a God. And Jews would boast that Jehovah was great, that Jehovah was all-powerful, but Nebuchadnezzar obviously believed that he was greater than that. And so when he forced the capitulation of the city of Jerusalem, uh, his cause and his God seemed to be vindicated. And that's where we pick it up in Daniel chapter 1. He uh, uh, defeats uh, the king of Judah, King Jehoiakim. And the Lord uh, uh, gives the king of Judah into King Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Very important part of the text, by the way. We realize that it is the heart of the king that's in God's hands, that ultimately God makes that decision that King Nebuchadnezzar is going to be able to defeat the king of Judah. And he goes into the temple and he takes all of these things and he takes them back and, and puts them in the treasury of, of his God. And then in verse 3, the king, the king commands his chief eunuch to go and find some young men that they can take back with them to Babylon. These are supposed to be some of you guys that are sitting up here up front. They would have chosen you. These are, these are guys without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, and competent. And he wants them to go back to Babylon, and he wants to teach them literature, the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And so as they get back there, uh, the king assigned them a daily portion of food and they would eat right from the king's table. They would, they would uh, drink the wine that he drink, drank and they were to be educated for several years. The hope was that Daniel and his friends, that they would be totally engulfed in the culture of Babylon. Verse eight says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. 
Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, in order to understand Daniel, you have to understand that, that Babylon, the city to which Daniel and his friends have been taken, was a very secular, very worldly place. These initial experiences that these young men were going to have in Babylon were meant really for one purpose and one purpose only. It was made so that all of these things were being done so that they would forget any remembrance of the one true God and their homeland. That was the whole idea. The most important verse that we'll read in chapter one is what we just read in verse eight. But Daniel resolved. Some translations say, but Daniel made a decision. He made up his mind that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Let me ask you, what's your reaction to that? Remember that Daniel's a young man at this time and we know from the later development of the story that uh, he's gonna live for a very long time beyond this <clears throat> through the rule of four emperors. He was probably in his 90s when he died and so he's about 15 or 16 years of age right now. He's away from his parents. He's away from everything that is familiar to him. You high school guys, think about that for just a moment. If you were in Las Vegas and you were taken there so that you might take upon yourself the character and the culture of that city, your parents aren't around, your friends aren't around, nobody's around, nobody would ever know, what would you do? Daniel refuses to eat this food. What's your reaction to that? Do you find that a insignificant detail? Do you see Daniel's decision as just simply immaturity or foolishness? Would you have reacted like Daniel and his friends did? Or would you have justified just simply saying, hey, I'm in Babylon, and when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. Why should I practice Jewish dietary laws when I'm here in Babylon? Let's eat and drink. It's just a little thing. For so many of us, there are decisions in our life on a regular basis that we rationalize like that. We say, it's just a little thing. It really doesn't matter that much. It's just a small thing. Well, it was a small thing, and that's exactly the point. I want you to understand this morning that it is the small, sometimes insignificant, what we see as insignificant details of our lives where the great victories are either won or lost. It is just those little decisions that you make in your life. Rarely is it some big mammoth decision that you make and that alone determines your destiny, the story of your life. It is those seemingly insignificant moments that determine the great victories or failures of our life. But Daniel said, I want to live for God in a big way. And if I'm going to live for God in a big way, then I have to make small decisions, what seems insignificant to others. And God's gonna use him in an incredible way. Turn with me quickly, just flip ahead a few chapters to Daniel chapter six. When we get to Daniel chapter six, Daniel is an old man. Decades and decades have passed. In fact, most Bible scholars believe that at this point in Daniel chapter six that we know as the story of Daniel in the lion's den, that he's about 80 years old at that point. And the king, Darius, uh, sets up over the kingdom 120 satraps, or th these were like governors of, uh, who ruled different territories. And they were supposed to rule those territories, and over those 120, there were three men that were placed. Daniel was one of those men. 
<clears throat> and he became distinguished above all the other officials and satraps because he had an excellent spirit, Scripture says in verse 3, that was in him. And the king had plans for Daniel to go all the way to the top of the heap. He was going to be the man. This guy, this little teenager that we meet in chapter 1, 15, 16 years old, decades have passed, and now he's just about ready to be placed in this position of incredible authority, and the guys around him, they don't like it. And so they go, and they try to find something against him. Verse 5 says, these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. <laughs> now think about that for a moment. Wouldn't it be a great position to be in for it to be said of your life or of mine that the only thing that they can find against me is with regards to my relationship with my God? What a great criticism. What a great thing to be said of Daniel's life. He was actually going to be looked at as the number one man in the whole kingdom. And they wanted to find fault against him. This is the, that same teenager who in chapter one has, had, had made up his mind in the insignificant, seemingly insignificant things of life. And they've had incredible influence on his story now decades later. And they can't find anything against him. And so they say, um, the only thing we have against him is that he really loves his God and he's really loyal to his God. And so in verse six, <clears throat> they come to the king and they say, hey, king, we have a plan. How would you like people to pray to you rather than to anybody else? Wouldn't that be good, Mr. King? I think they called him Mr. back then. That's king, let's just say king. So you know, you say things sometimes and you go, why did I say Mr. King, right? I mean, there's one back there, but uh, he wasn't, that's not who we're talking about here, right? They go into the king and they say, king, uh, we think you ought to make a decree that, that nobody can pray to anybody else except to you for 30 days. And if they do, they should be cast into a den of lions. Verse 8, now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed. And the king signs the document. Verse 10 says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he panicked. He didn't know what he was going to do. If you, if you have your Bible open, you know that it says he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, opened them towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Mark this down if, you're, if you've got a, a hard copy of scripture and you've got a pen. As he had done previously. <laughs> if there's a text in all of scripture that is so indicative of what we're going to be talking about the next several weeks, it's this. Because of the decisions that he had made in the past, he was already living a lifestyle. He was already living a story. And so it was a no-brainer, even though the decree had been passed, to go, I do this all the time. This is part of who I am. I made a decision right back years ago when I was 15, 16 years old that I was going to live this way. And, and, and I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray. I wonder how long ago he'd made that decision. Probably, in my estimation, it was probably uh, years, maybe decades earlier that he had started this discipline in his life. And so no matter how culture shifted, no matter what the king said, he was loyal to his God. He recognized that God was the reason for his story. 
And so he just naturally continued on with that decision. You see, it is true the decisions we make today determine the stories we tell tomorrow. Now, today, my goal is really, really simple. Uh, I like to, to teach messages and I like to listen to messages where the goal is really, really simple. Because if you've ever walked out of a church service and gone, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? All right, that's not what we want, right? We want it to be very simple. And so my goal today for you is very simple. I want you to make a decision to start a discipline which will affect the story that you're gonna tell in the days, months, and even years ahead. All right, did you get that? I want you to make a decision today to start a discipline, whether you're a young middle school student here today or you're 80 years old here today, I want you to make a decision today to start a discipline that will affect the story that you're going to tell in the days, weeks, months, years, maybe even decades ahead. Have you ever thought about that? What is the story that you want to tell a year from now? How about five years from now? Uh, how, how about what's the story you want your kids to tell about you? If you get to the point where you have grandkids, what, what is the story that you want your grandkids to be able to tell about grandma or grandpa? Or when you're old, I think about this a lot because I'm 49 now, and to me, that's pretty old. All right, I know to some of you, you're going, ah, he's just a youngster. I'm not, but you guys think I'm really old, right? I mean, I, I, I get that. But when you're really old and when you get to be in your 70s and 80s and and maybe if God gives you a really long life, you get into your 90s. What kind of story do you want to be able to tell when maybe that's all you have the energy to do? You can't get up and go and do anything and you forget some of the details, but you got the, the, the gist of the story. What kind of story do you want to be able to tell? Whatever the story is that you want to tell in the future, it begins with the decision to start a discipline today so that you can move in that direction in your life. The only way to have a story worth telling is to start today. Not to make excuses about why you need to wait until next week, but to start that story today. So I want to give you several areas in which I want you to think about starting a discipline today which will affect your story in these particular areas of your life. Number one is with regards to your priorities. Uh, some of us need to recognize today that our story is filled with examples of wrong priorities. It's unfortunate, but you and I are living in an area in the triangle in North Carolina. Maybe it's even bigger than that. Maybe we just say it's in America where we have bought into the idea that it's okay to be successful at so many things that don't matter. And in the course of doing that, we are failing at the very things that do matter. I mentioned to you this a, a couple of weeks ago in our family chat weekend that, that, that really for me, and I know for some of you, I talked with a gentleman just this morning who, who had the same reaction to this that I did. My greatest fear is that I would come to the end of my life and I would realize that I've been successful at the very things that don't matter and I failed at the very things that do matter. Some of you are exactly on that path. You've bought into the idea, some of you as moms and dads, 
it is moms and dads. It's generally more true of dads. You've bought into the idea that your purpose here on this planet is to build this company that you work for, to build your career, to pursue the next promotion. And if you get that, that somehow that will bring meaning into your life. Let me tell you, the greatest thing you could do today would be to make a decision to start to say, I'm gonna be home with my family on a regular basis, if not every night on a regular basis, as often as I can. I'm gonna be there so that I can have dinner with my wife, with my husband, with my kids, and I am not gonna buy into the idea that I'm gonna be successful at the very thing that doesn't matter when I come to the end of my life. That's what some of you better decide right now. And I know it's so easy for you to buy into this idea in your head. Well, you know, but, but because I do this and I fly all over the world and I do this and that and I'm getting these promotions and I'm doing this, I'm able to provide my kids with more. They're gonna get a better education. They're gonna drive a nice car that they put in the high school parking lot at, at Panther Creek and we're gonna go on great vacations and my kids will have all of these things. Can I tell you, those things at the end, when your story comes to an end, they will not matter. Some of us, the greatest decision that we could make today would be to get our priorities in line. The greatest thing that you could do as moms or dads would be to take seriously the stewardship of those kids that God's placed in your home and shepherding that next generation. It'd be better for you to live in a much smaller home than it would be to have the wrong priorities. And for some of you, it will start today where maybe you'll just say, you know what, I'm gonna get my priorities right in my life because I want my story to be different. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a nursing home. <laughs> Even with my own father. My dad went to be with Jesus when he was 60 years old. Made a lot of good decisions in his life but made some that weren't so good. And I can remember, just like it was last night, I can remember him laying in a hospital bed as I was getting ready to leave for the airport and tears just gushing out of his eyes. And I turned around and I said, why are you crying? And he said, I have failed you as a father. Now the truth of that story is that my dad was a much better father to me than his dad was to him. He grew up in the home of an alcoholic. His dad abused alcohol, I'm convinced physically abused my grandmother. He was a mean, nasty man. He died when I was in kindergarten. I remember going to his funeral. I don't even remember shedding a tear. But let me tell you, friends, if you have been to the places I've been and you've sat next to your dad while he sheds tears because he regrets having the wrong priorities in his life, you would make a decision today to start doing something differently so that your story could be different one day. For some of you, that's, just, that's where it needs to start, right there with your priorities. For others of you, it's uh, this subject of marriage. We talk about it a lot. Why do we talk about it a lot? Because it's important. There are just as many messed up marriages inside a church as outside a church, and it shouldn't be that way. Many of you are in marriages that, you're, that, that are not what you wanted them to be, not what they should be, and certainly not what God has intended them to be. And here's the tragedy. Some of you have bought into the idea that it, that it just is what it is, and it can never be any different than it is. I want to tell you today to stop believing that unbiblical thinking. 
God intended for marriage to be awesome. I had a couple come up after the first service and uh, man, they, they gotta be married 40, 45, maybe even 50 years. And they said, just pray for us that our story will be one that we just love each other passionately and that we love Jesus. And I went, woohoo! Yeah, that's what we want because that's the way that it can be. I can honestly say with Diana, um, I, I love her more now than I did 25 years ago. I love my kids. I'm passionate about my kids. I've tried to be a good dad. I'm gonna try to be a great grandpa, but she's my priority. And you know what? That as the kids are, you know, one married, one off in college, and one that's gallivanting around as a high school kid, I love it when none of them are there and it's just she and I. Woohoo! All right, I'm, not, I'm just saying, it's awesome, right? And let me tell you, that is the way that God intended it to be. Not for you to wake up one day and look at the person that's next to you and go, who are you? Because you invested all of your time and you cared more about those kids than you cared about your spouse. God gave you that husband. God gave you that wife. He intends for marriage to be awesome. And for some of you, you need to stop believing that you just have to be in these dead-end marriage, which marriages which are never gonna produce joy and satisfaction and glory to God. It is possible today that you could start now a discipline in your marriage that would give you a story that is worth telling someday, that your kids will tell, maybe because they see your marriage healed, that your grandkids will tell because they see grandma and grandpa, man, they just really love each other. How do I find somebody like that that I can love for 120 years? I mean, how do I do that? For some of you, it's not so much that, that your marriage is bad, it's just that you don't make any time for one another. Some of you young couples, let me just tell you, and I, I know when I say these things, I, I go on the record, right? I get that. I want to go on the record today as saying that, um, you know, we got, we got one son married, one that's off at of college, one that's in high school. Um, she never will be married, but, but she probably will leave home someday. Um, I will tell you this, that there are enough of us here at Northwest. You know what some of you young couples need to do? You need to get rid of your kids overnight every once in a while. You just do. You need to rent them out, all right? Don't sell them. That's illegal, all right? Renting, on the other hand, very legal. It's, it's totally okay, all right? And, and you, need to just, you need to find a couple in your life, which is a great thing about doing life and life groups, all right? You need to find another couple and you just say, hey, my wife and I, we need to get away overnight. Uh, we need to spend a night together. We need to do this. Can you just, here, take these kids? We'll be fine, all right? And, and, and you know what? We'll, we'll be fine. We, we've raised kids ourselves. We're gonna be fine. And then the great thing for us is we're gonna give them back right? We're not going to raise them. We're going to give them back. But the greatest thing that you could do for your marriage would be to spend some time with just your husband or just your wife. For some of you, you need counseling. You go, we've tried that. You've been to the wrong counselor, all right? Come see me. I can give you a little speech in about 10 minutes. And if you'll do what I tell you to do, because it's biblical, your marriage will be fantastic. All right? It won't cost you anything. It's just one of the services we provide here at Northwest. <laughs> 10 minutes, painless. For some of you, maybe you got some issues in your life. You need long, you need some, some very serious biblical counseling. Come to us, let us help you. 
Because God wants you to start today to make some decisions, to make some choices in your marriage that will give you a future that will ultimately lead to a story that is worth telling. Maybe for some of you, it'll be this day when you say, you know what, I've made up my mind, we're gonna get some help, we're gonna get some counsel, we're gonna spend some time together, we're gonna do this, and years from now, you're gonna talk about, hey, on September 13th, 2015, I started to do this in my marriage. And boy, let me tell you what my marriage is like now. I want that to be your story. For some of you, it's finances. You've pursued the great American nightmare. And that's what it is, the great American nightmare. You bought into the idea that, uh, um, hey, we need new furniture. And I saw this commercial the other day, the other day, 120 months, same as cash. And so you went and you bought a whole house full of furniture and you said, it's great. We don't even have to pay any interest for 120 months. In fact, we don't even have to pay any payments for five years. And now you're six years into it and there's stains all over the furniture. The legs are breaking off of the tables and you're in debt up to your eyeballs and it's putting incredible stress on you individually, on your marriage, on your family. Maybe the decision that you need to make today is to start by getting some help. Maybe you need to start a budget. Maybe you need to attend a class on finances. Maybe your situation could be helped just simply by getting a pair of scissors or getting a cookie sheet out, lining your credit cards up nicely on there and baking them at 350 for about 20 minutes. They come out very crispy, don't eat them, all right? Then just throw them away. You know, for a lot of you that are in the auditorium this morning, some of you several years from now could be telling a story of how you're completely out of debt. Maybe it's just completely out of debt other than maybe your home. And let me tell you, when you get to the place in your life when you're not saddled and burdened by debt, it will produce unbelievable freedom for you personally, but it will also allow you to do and to be what I think God wants us to do and to be, and that is to be generous with others. Maybe that's the place you need to start today. For some of you, it's your, it's your personal life. beautiful. I like a little Lionel Richie myself, just kind of, after all this talk about Diana, I just really love Lionel. <clears throat> just get it. Just answer it. In fact, just stand up right where you just, hello? <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun to do sometime? <laughs> hello, I'm in church right now. There's 300 people that are listening. What do you have to say? <laughs> Hope I didn't embarrass anybody, but turn your phone off next week. <clears throat> Maybe for some of us, we need to decide to do something just personally with regards to the body that God gave us. Maybe today you need to start eating differently and exercising so that you can actually live to tell a story. You know, it's been interesting to me over the years that I've been a Christian. I came to know Jesus when I was, when I was nine. And so uh, in January, that was 40 years ago that I came to know Jesus. Here's one thing I've noticed about churches. If you're here and you got an issue with alcohol, we will find you and confront you. If you're here and you have a drug addiction or anything like that, we'll find you, we'll confront you, we'll get you help for your addiction. If you have an issue with food and you don't take care of your body, you're good because none of the rest of us do either. Have you noticed that? It's one of those things about Christians <laughs> that the world has to look at and go, um, why is it that, and we just kind of all go, hey, you don't talk about my five donuts, I won't talk about yours, all right? 
For some of us, the greatest thing that we need to do is start taking care of our bodies. I have been one of those kids. Um, I, I said this not too long ago. I can remember my mom going into Sears. They had Slim, Regular, and Husky. And you can call it Husky, but everybody knew those were fat kid pants, all right? And that was me, all right? And so there isn't any one of you this morning that could say, you just don't understand. For me, it's my metabolism. You don't understand, all right? I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be insensitive. I can be every once in a while, but on this, I don't mean to be insensitive. All right, I, I get that. I understand that story. I have lived that story now for 49 years. Here's the conclusion I've come to. Diana knows this. I'm gonna do battle with this for the rest of my life. It's, it's my thorn that God gave me. It's not just my metabolism. It's my love for cookies and, and lost trace and all kinds of things. But I will tell you this, I am not gonna give up. I am gonna do battle, and I do do battle all the time. Right now, doing really well. Eating really well, I'm exercising, I'm doing all the things, and I'm sharper, I feel better. For some of you, the thing that you need to do is you need to start, start today to say, I'm gonna take care of my body. It's so sad that so many followers of Jesus forget to take care of the one body that God gave us to use for his glory. I wanna challenge you to do that. Um, lastly, I wanna challenge you about your relationship with Jesus. Some of you that are here know that your spiritual life is at best, uh, shall we say, boring. In fact, even as you're sitting here, there are many of you men that are going, hey, does he know that the NFL season kicks off this weekend? Does he know the slate of games that are happening? I assure you I do. You are so out of touch with everything that's going on right here because you've bought into the idea, so many of us have bought into this idea that having a relationship with Jesus is boring. And yet Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. One translation says, life to the full, life to the max. That's what I came to do to give you that kind of life. And it's so sad that so many of you who say you were followers of Jesus have bought into the idea that a spiritual life, that spiritual things are boring and are dull. You have no passion for spiritual growth, no passion for interaction with other Christ followers. You know it's not what it should be and probably not even what you want it to be. And today you need to start doing something about it. I want to challenge you that maybe you just, I prayed with one woman after the first service and she just simply said, just pray for me that I start reading my Bible every day. Maybe even just a verse. So we prayed, just let her read her Bible just a day, right? Some of you, that's what you need to do. Forget all the other stuff because you're not going to do all of it. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe for some of you, you whine, you complain all the time about you don't have relationships, you don't have any friendships, there's nobody there to encourage you, and you've never even tried a life group. Maybe the thing you need to start, you need to see Matt after the service, and you need to say, help me get into a life group so I can start doing life with people. Maybe you need to start using your gifts for the benefit of others here at Northwest and in this community. For some of you today, the most important thing that you need to start spiritually speaking, is a personal relationship with Jesus. You see, because all this other stuff, you can have a healthy body, 
You can have a marriage that brings you some level of satisfaction. You can raise nice kids. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you come to the end of your life, to the end of your story, only to realize that you spend eternity apart from Christ. Because while you knew a lot about God, you never had a personal relationship with him. Maybe today's the day when you start a relationship with Jesus. Here's what I want to do as we close. I want to encourage you to start one discipline today that will define the story that you're going to tell tomorrow. All right? Not several, because if you're like me, I mean, I wrote this. I go through there and I go, okay, I need to do something about that and about that and about that and about that. And I start getting lists, right? And I go, this is overwhelming to me. I'm not going to do anything. Where are the cookies? That's, you know, that's kind of the way I am, right? All right? Just by the laughter, we know that's a lot of you too. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to do just one thing. Maybe it's with regards to your priorities, to your marriage, to your parenting, to your finances. Maybe for some of you need to cross the line of faith today. You need to place your trust in Christ alone as your savior. Maybe some of you who are Christ followers need to become more passionate about the things of God. You need to get into a life group. You need to start reading your Bible. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you to do one thing today. Begin, start one discipline today that will help to define the story that you're going to tell tomorrow. Because here's what I know to be true. If you don't do that, you will indeed have a story. We all have them. You'll have a story. But for many of you, you will be embarrassed and ashamed to tell it. The decisions that we make today are going to determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. Let's pray.